0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zulfa. So Africa, amka na
1: Good morning, and welcome to Africa, rise and shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41-meter band to southern Africa and on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 902. I'm Lulu Gabu and with me I have Onilen Sinzi, Amanda Machaka and Tami Kruza. In our top stories, an Africa rise and shine at this hour. AU envoy arrives in South Sudan to revive stalled peace talks. SADAC members push for a regional parliament, and peacekeepers face challenges in Sudan's Darfur region. In economics, BRICS Summit gets underway in Russia, and in sports news, Athletics Federation of Nigeria invites 50 athletes for all Africa games. But first up, the news with Onilin
2: Thank you, Lulu. Now looking at your news update, Nigerian authorities say suicide bombers have killed an estimated 30 people in two blasts in the north of the country. The governor of Kaduna province says an attacker detonated a device at a local government building in the city of Zaria, killing 25 people and wounding 32 others. Around the same time, witnesses and a military source say a female suicide bomber has killed four people at a military checkpoint in Sagbon. Gari town in the northeastern state of Bono. There have been no immediate claims of responsibility for the attacks, but suspicions falling on the Haram militant group, which has bombed several towns and cities in the northern Nigerian in the last 10 days. Congo Republic's opposition says it will boycott talks this week with the government over constitutional changes it fears are designed to allow President Denis Sasso Ngueso to serve a third term in the all-rich Central African nation. Ngueso has called a July 11th to 14th national dialogue to discuss reforms expected to include scraping a two-term limit on precedents. About 400 representatives of political groups, trade unions, Ex-combatants and traditional and religious authorities have been invited to take part in the talks. Head of the main opposition party, the Pan-African Union for Social Democracy, Pascal Madibiala, says a coalition of opposition parties is against any changes to the constitution and has declined the invitation to the talks. The commander of the United Nations African Union peacekeeping force in Darfur, General Paul Mella, says his force is still committed to executing its mandate despite operational and security challenges. General Mella is leading a 13,000 strong military contingent in Sudan's conflict-ridden western territory of Darfur. The Sudanese government has mounted a strong campaign for the withdrawal of peacekeepers from Darfur, a move rejected by a Western power and some African states. Mela says he is unfazed by attempts to use hostile attacks to force the withdrawal of peacekeepers from the volatile region.
3: There is a lot of criminality that goes on because of the proliferation of small arms and light weapons. So sometimes our patrols are also attacked by some outlaws and some unidentified armed groups. And so we have also experienced loss of lives. We have an average of up to 20 per year peacekeepers losing their lives in the course of uh, implementing their assigned tasks. So these are some of those challenges that we go through. South Africa's NGO.
2: Your Gift of the Givers group has enlisted the services of a Malayan negotiator to help them locate the captures of South African national Stephen McGowan. It's suspected that McGowan has been held by a militant group in Mali since being abducted more than three years ago. His abductors released a video about two weeks ago, apparently showing McGowan alive and in good health. Founders of the Gift of the Givers, MTS Silliman, says the negotiators will act as a mediator once the captors make contact.
4: We've had a lot of responses from Mauritania, from Mali, from South Africa. We have now arranged a negotiator who's from Mali, who's from North Mali, who knows the area well, who speaks the local language, who speaks French, and who has people in a different tribes and has connection with many of the tribes and many of the tribal leaders. So this effort, hoping that we'll have a mediator that will be able to negotiate with the captors once they contact us. We are, you know, this is what we're waiting for at the moment and we're hoping to have a breakthrough very, very soon because we don't know who they are. They've released a video showing proof of life. So if they've released the video, it's obvious that they want somebody to
5: talk to them.
2: And finally, the World Health Organization says changes are being made after a damning report was released about its capability to handle events, especially the recent Ebola outbreak which has killed more than 11,000 people in West Africa. The report included that the WHO lacks the capacity and culture to deal with global health emergencies. The WHO's reach Brennan.
6: We have acknowledged those failings, we realised those weaknesses. Our global policy group, which is our senior management, all our regional directors, the director general here, they meet regularly now to review emergencies. We have strengthened our systems across the organisations, our communications and our collaboration, not only here at headquarters, but also with our regional and country offices.
2: Channel Africa News, I'm Oni Linsinti.
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, Amika,
1: Thank you, Onele. It's 7.06 Central African Time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now, this morning, we start by asking you, do you think the SADAC Parliament will help the region deal with challenges. Southern African countries will soon have uniform laws which will be enforceable across all 14 SADC member states when a regional parliament is formed possibly next month. South African President Jacob Zuma says SADC needs to establish a regional parliament to tackle challenges in the region. Now our question to you today is, do you think the SADC parliament will help the region deal with challenges? Give us your thoughts on email, your views. At info at channelafrica.co.za or send us an SMS to 277-96-957-930. Or get a hold of us on Twitter at Rise shine or at Channel Africa One. Do you think a SADC parliament will help the region deal with challenges? Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, soul. Africa America, now, now.
1: The African Union has sent a senior emissary to South Sudan's capital, Juba, to push for a quick peace process with the express purpose of allowing the country to form a government of national unity. James Shimayula reports.
7: The African Union emissary that has been sent to South Sudan's capital Juba is former Malian President Alpha Omar Konare. He is in Juba to meet President Salva Kiir and other top government officials to kickstart the stalled peace process mediated by the regional bloc Igad, Speaking in French at a press conference through an interpreter shortly after arriving in South Sudan, Alpha Omar Konare Said.
0: We all wish that there be peace that the people of South Sudan have been looking for and that there be harmony. This peace, which is a very precious commodity, is not beyond the reach of South Sudanese people. It's the South Sudanese themselves who are going to make peace. But we are going to help them to do that. We are here to support them and to be with them. My first duty will be to listen to the South Sudanese authorities if we don't listen to them, if we don't listen to President Kiir, and if we don't listen to other leaders of South Sudan, we will not be able to make any other contribution, and that contribution as a brother, and which in other circumstances will be helping greatly our
7: brothers. The brothers that former Malian President Alfa Omar Konale is speaking about are the people of South Sudan. Speaking on behalf of the Sudanese government, as he welcomed the former Malian leader, Peter Bendi Bashir, South Sudan Deputy Minister for Foreign Affairs, said,
8: Definitely we will give him all the details that we have and the concessions that the government has given and the, the commitment of the government to achieve peace for the people of South Sudan.
7: As the African Union emissary consulted the South Sudanese government to jumpstart the peace talks that have collapsed several times over the past 18 months, Rebecca Nyandeng, wife of the late founder of South Sudan Nation, Johnny Garang, cited the main problem facing South Sudan as it struggles to carry out reforms ahead of restoring permanent peace.
9: The problem is a reform we did not deliver to the people of South Sudan. And why we did not deliver when we have all the resources. We were able to drive the war without any resources. And now we have resources. We ask ourselves as leaders, why are we not bringing services to the people? President Santos has accepted it to sit down with us and, and listen. Now reform will take place. So we have realized our mistakes. We have to sit down and, and correct the mistakes.
7: Although Rebecca Garang spoke of correcting mistakes made in her country, she did not amplify on the mistakes and say when and how they are to be corrected. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shiman, you love
1: It is seven eleven Central African time. And you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg on this Wednesday, July the 8th, the 189th day of 2015, with exactly 176 days left in the year. And our question to you this morning is, do you think the SADC Parliament will help the region deal with challenges? Give us your thoughts on email at info at channelafrica.co.za, send us an SMS to two seven. 27- Seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero, or get a hold of us on Twitter at Rise Shine Africa or at Channel Africa One. Do you think SADC Parliament will help the region deal with challenges? Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
0: Africa rise and shine. Africa tzolta. Africa amuka na unai.
1: The commander of the United Nations African Union Peacekeeping Force in Darfur, Lieutenant General Paul Mella, says his forces are still committed to executing its mandate despite operational and security challenges. The Tanzanian-born soldier is leading a 13,000-strong military contingent in Sudan's conflict-ridden western territory of Darfur. The Sudanese government has mounted a strong campaign for the withdrawal of peacekeepers in Darfur, a move rejected by Western powers and some African states. Presidential correspondent Seboi Ganeng filed this report.
6: Just recently, the United Nations has warned that violent attacks on international peacekeepers and civilians in Sudan's conflict-torn Darfur region have been increasing at an alarming rate. The world body claimed that this has forced tens of thousands of people to flee. A report by the UN chief, Ban Ki-moon, has revealed that there were about 60 incidents of hostile attacks against UNAMID forces in the past three months. Armed militias allied to the Khartoum administration have been blamed for attacks on international
3: peacekeepers. We as soldiers, we get time to go and bring peace in a certain country. And this is in line with the African slogan that African problems should be solved by Africans themselves, or African solutions to African problems.
6: Emboldened by a conviction to support continental efforts to restore peace and security, the top UNAU Peacekeeping Force commander, Lieutenant General Paul Mella, says it's unfazed by attempts to use hostile attacks to force the
3: withdrawal of peacekeepers in the volatile Darfur region. We conduct these patrols through very rugged terrain under very severe and hostile weather. On two occasions, our soldiers have been swept away by strong current. And the last incident, there were four of them. They were swept away from Darfur the and their dead bodies were found across the border in another country called Chad. There is a lot of criminality that goes on because of the proliferation of small arms and light weapons. So sometimes... Our patrols are also attacked by some outlaws and some unidentified armed groups. And so we have also experienced loss of lives. We have an average of up to 20 per year peacekeepers losing their lives in the course of uh, implementing the assigned tasks. So these are some of those. Challenges that we go through. Lieutenant General Mella, who's on a visit to
6: South Africa, has paid tribute to fallen peacekeepers, and those who are still committed to risking their lives to protect the people of Darfur.
3: It requires a lot of courage for someone to go on patrol, knowing that yesterday my colleague was killed on those patrols. But they don't stop going. They keep on going. For example, 2013, seven peacekeepers from Tanzania were killed in an ambush. And the the same battalion did not pull out of the foot. They continued to conduct patrol in the same areas. And you can imagine how does it feel to pass the same area where you know that you lost your colleagues. Despite all these challenges, despite all these sufferings and difficult conditions that they are facing, but they continue to work.
6: UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon has begged the Security Council recommendation that the mandate of the UNAMID forces be extended for another year say any drawdown should be based on the ability of the government and armed groups to make progress on peace. Sepoikaning in Pretoria.
1: The Vice President of the SADC Parliamentary Forum, Joseph Njovuyalema, says he is hopeful that SADC will soon establish its own parliament. He was speaking at the organization's week-long 37th Plenary Assembly, taking place in Fairmont, Zimbali Resort in Balito, kwazulu natal The meeting is being held under the theme Industrialization and Regional Integration
10: in SEDEK, the Role of Parliament. Ndlantla Matlang reports. The Vice President of the Southern African Development Community Parliamentary Forum, Joseph Njovoyalema, says all the African sub-regions have regional parliaments, but the South still operates as a forum. He has commended South Africa's President Jacob Zuma, who has also expressed his support for the formation of a regional parliament. He says they are hopeful that the Heads of State Summit next month will see the formation of the new parliament.
8: We are being grateful indeed for the support that His Excellency President Jaguzum has given to the transformation of sadc PF. During the meeting, the President reaffirmed his support for the establishment of the SADC Regional Parliament and expressed commitment to engage fellow SADC heads of state and government on this very important matter. We are hopeful that Sadiq will soon establish a Sadiq parliament to ensure the development of model laws to facilitate the harmonization of our legal frameworks, which is necessary for the regional integration.
10: Speaking, during the opening ceremony of the plenary assembly on Sunday, President Zuma said the Southern African development community needs to establish a regional parliament to tackle the challenges in the region.
8: The job of the forum might be more important, particularly if the transformation from the forum to regional parliament as a role of uh, oversight is very important to the executive we share the same view with regards to the pan-african parliament that more needs to be added in its task with regards to the executives in the continent partly because we believe parliaments have the public representatives who carry the views of the electorate. So we believe that the transformation of the forum is absolutely an important thing.
10: National Assembly Speaker Bale Gambeche says all national parliaments in SADC have been calling for the regional parliament. The
11: reason the regional parliament has to be viable is because it's the national parliaments who are saying we want a regional parliament. And it's the national parliaments who have been dealing with this matter over the years and are now really at a point where, I mean, other sub-regions of the continent have already got parliaments. There's an ECOWAS regional parliament. There's an East African Legislative Assembly. There is a Central African a parliament. There's a Maghreb a level. Parliament.
10: Today's program will comprise of plenaries looking at various issues such as human rights policies, HIV and AIDS and building strong governance. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Glantzama Sangu in Balito, KwaZulu-Natal. Now do you think the SADC Parliament will help the region deal with challenges. Send
1: us your views and your thoughts on email at info or send us an SMS to 27796 957 or get a hold of us on Twitter at Rise Shine Africa or at Channel Africa 1. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka, na unai.
1: BRICS countries have finally launched a new development bank to reduce the Western dominance of the world financial system. The bank was launched in Russia yesterday with the initial capital injection of $50 billion. Its vice president, South African Leslie Masdorp, says the bank will help South Africa and other BRICS member states in their infrastructure development, which is critical for job creation. Our presidential correspondent in Debo Mokobo filed this report.
12: A historic milestone, BRICS member countries launched the New Development Bank in Moscow on Tuesday. It has been hailed as a game-changer in the global economic landscape and an alternative to the likes of the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. But International Relations and Cooperation Minister Maite Konama Mashabane says the new bank is not meant to compete with the existing financial institutions but will address the challenges facing the developing world
13: the first BRICS declaration as to what BRICS stands for that we're not only going to be looking at just the economics and trade but also the geopolitical developments around the world so as to give an alternative voice not against anyone but just to say that there's a yearning out there both in developed and developing world there is an upsurge of ordinary people saying the old economic model no longer works for no one. doesn't work for developed countries. It no longer solves the problems of 2015.
12: Minister Nkwana Mashabane says the bank will help to deal with the challenges facing the country.
13: For us, we've been very clear when president started this initiative, which was quite historic, looking at how to bring about true radical economic development that South Africans are yearning for, that would deal with the triple challenges of inequality, of poverty and unemployment. We will be looking at how to invest in each other's countries through our business entity, looking at the role of state-owned enterprises.
12: Speaking to the SAPC after the launch of the BRICS New Development Bank, the bank's vice president, Leslie Masdrop, says the new bank will enhance the amount of capital available for the development in South Africa and other BRICS member states.
9: Infrastructure is a very critical ingredient for an economy to grow. There is a huge financing gap in South Africa and in many developing countries in terms of the required capital to invest in infrastructure. So the BRICS new Development bank is an important addition to the development finance institutions globally to augment it will, in other words, enhance the amount of capital available for infrastructure development. So the New Development Bank will play an important role to complement existing institutions with respect to uh, infrastructure
12: development. The seventh session of the BRICS summit officially kicks off later this morning with an address by Russian President Vladimir Putin. Later in the day, President Jacob Zuma, who is leading a strong delegation of ministers and business, will meet with President Putin. I am Tebumo Kobo Ufa in Russia.
7: The world remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty, and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all.
14: From July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a Mandela Day.
6: It is in your hands
0: to make a difference. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, amuka na unai.
1: Newly appointed head of the National Prosecuting Authority of South Africa, Sean Abrahams, has refuted suggestions that he was appointed in order to protect President Jacob Zuma. The NPA withdrew corruption charges against President Zuma shortly before he was elected in 2009, but the country's main opposition party, the DA, has been trying to have the charges reinstated. Abrahams was addressing the media and NPA staff in Pretoria. Spuam Kize has
5: more. I can assure you that I don't intend to use my powers to protect anybody, and I have not been appointed to protect anybody.
15: The 39-year-old Sean Abrahams was just 21 when he prosecuted his first case in 1997, and now he is in the hot seat at the NPA. He is the fifth NPA head in just 17 years. None of the previous appointed heads have completed their 10-year terms, Previous NPA head, Mtholisi Lasana, stepped down in May after an inquiry into his fitness to hold office was scrapped. Justice and Correctional Services Minister Michael Masuta introduced Abrahams to the media and staff at the NPA offices in Pretoria. He had some advice for Abrahams.
3: Take it easy. Go with the flow. And, um, yeah, it can get hot in the kitchen sometimes. Uh, <laughs> you may want from time to time to take a short break and escape to the, uh, to the lounge or, or the dining room.
15: Abrahams has acknowledged that President Jacob Zuma has placed immense confidence and responsibility in him to deliver justice to the people. He says he's deeply humbled.
5: This is certainly the greatest honor that could be bestowed on any career prosecutor. I am deeply humbled and heartened by all your confidence in me and the c- continued congratulatory messages, well wishes, Kind words and commitments of support. I endeavor to hold each and every one of you accountable to your commitments of support. Yes, I'll be a slave driver.
15: (laughs) Abrams has refuted the perception that there are rival camps within the prosecuting authority. He has emphasized that under his watch there will be only one camp in the NPA, and it is the NPA guided by the Constitution. He says there's no room for
5: anti-NPA sentiment. We are lawyers, officers of the court, we are prosecutors, we are not politicians. Under my watch and leadership, there is just one camp. I assure you it is the NPA camp. Guided by the constitution, the rule of law and the integrity of the office we hold, we will do so by ensuring an all-embracing and inclusive approach. There is certainly no room for abuse of prosecutorial powers and discretion. We must be mindful that the integrity of this institution must be protected at all times.
15: Abrahams has emphasised that prosecutors need to execute their duties impartially, saying they are required to protect the public interest. Abrahams has emphasised prosecutors need to be mindful of their role.
5: We are expected to exercise our duties without fear, favour or prejudice as administrators of justice in maintaining and restoring public confidence in the administration of justice. We are required to cooperate with other stakeholders in the criminal justice system, such as the police, the courts, legal profession, government, and institutions domestically and internationally. We are not an island. We need the support of our stakeholders to be able to bring justice to the people of society.
15: The NPA boss has called on colleagues to protect the integrity of the agency. Legal experts have in the past expressed concern about perceived political interference in the NPA. However, Abraham says he wants to improve the image
1: of the NPA. Spiumkize in Pretoria. Mozambique burned the world's largest ever seizure of rhino horn on Monday in what government officials said was a demonstration of their commitment to tackle poaching. The largely symbolic destruction of 193.5 kilograms of horn and 2,434 kilograms of ivory came as neighboring Zimbabwe confirmed that around 20 elephants it captured from a national park had been exported to China despite pleas from conservationists to release them. For more on this, Nkosi spoke to Annabella Rodriguez, director for World Wildlife Fund, but we will come back to the story after the headlines with Onel and
2: Burundi prepares to respond to the call by African nations to delay the presidential elections by two weeks to July 30th. Congo Republic's opposition parties to boycott talks this week with the government over constitutional changes, and the South African National Blood Service is desperate in, in desperate need for blood donors. Channel African News.
1: Going back to that story, Mozambique burned the world's largest ever seizure of rhino horn on Monday in what government officials said was a demonstration of their commitment to tackling poaching. The largely symbolic destruction of 193.5 kilograms of horn and 2,434 kilograms of ivory came as neighboring Zimbabwe confirmed that around 20 elephants it captured from a national park had been exported to China despite pleas from conservation is to release them. For more on this, Vusinkosi spoke to Annabella Rodriguez, director for World Wildlife Fund.
9: The motivation behind this was the recognition by the government that it's extremely difficult under the present circumstances in Mozambique to keep ivory stored without running the risk to have uh, ivory stolen again. It happened already a number of occasions in the country. The last one was dramatic because obviously it was the largest seizure of rhino horns and a significant amount of ivory. and uh, while we were celebrating the fact that the police had caught a couple of individuals involved with this material. A couple of days later, it was stolen. So I think that uh, the government is very keen to make changes and to show a different attitude and much more committed political will. But there is the recognition that it's extremely difficult to ensure right now security for this kind of tough because obviously there are lots of people in the police and in the security forces involved in this kind of crime. That does not necessarily mean that I agreed with the way it was done, but uh, I think that this is the major motivation behind it. I understand why the government did it
16: it was reported that prior to the destruction, some of the horns were still being investigated on whether they were from South African rhinos. How did you arrive at the decision of banning or destroying the rhino horns without the proper investigation being complete?
9: One of the problems we are facing is that the information is not flowing as it should because there are changes occurring in the ministry. There are various departments that were moved from former ministries to the Ministry of Environment, so there is a bit of a, a whole of responsibility given the fact that former directors are not anymore in their positions and new directors were not yet nominated. So this is one of the problems. But the other problem is that there was not an immediate decision when the crisis reached its in terms of seriousness, to create some kind of tribal committee and indicate someone that will be the person that will officially take positions and provide information to the outside. So this creates a situation where we keep hearing pieces of information here and there, and we cannot totally rely on whatever information you are provided. So we were informed there was an inventory that the ivory was weighted, was photographed, and samples were taken. No one has been really able to tell us who did that. And as far as we know, this was not done following the procedures and the protocols of CITES, which is pretty serious. Because even if some samples were gathered and collected, they will not be recognised in the court. So a lot of material that would be critical to do serious investigation and try to figure out the networks of crime involved, we just lost evidence by having this decision taken. I urge that individuals some organization came even from South Africa but this is the problem you know the process was not totally transparent.
16: How is the security of where they place the seized horns?
9: What we heard is that all the material and this from the last seizure because what was burned yesterday is not only ivory and uh, rhino horns from the last It's uh, a lot of material that had been collected from province storages, not recently, and that at some point was in the storage facilities of the Ministry of Agriculture where the Wildlife Department used to be located. Recently, the Wildlife Department was moved to the new Ministry of Environment, of Land Environment and Rural Development. So initially, this last uh, material that was seized, you know, around one and a half months ago, was at the police station where it was found, at the police station whose police people were the ones doing the seizure. Then, after uh, some stuff was stolen, we heard that it was transferred to the Ministry of Environment. But again, you know, I cannot confirm 100% that this information is totally reliable. This is what we keep hearing. And obviously understandable that the minister didn't feel very comfortable having all that material under his responsibility. Is, or, or close to his own office.
16: How many horns were bent yesterday?
9: The amount that has been uh, put in the news, I don't know, the exact number is either 84 or 85, something like
16: that. Is it rhino horns or the ivory as well, or it's a total number of everything?
9: The ivory is 2.4 tons, and the orange is more than the ones that were seen recently. So this is the information that has that came out in the news.
1: And that was Annabella Rodriguez the director for World Wildlife Fund in Mozambique on the line from Maputo speaking to Vusi Nkosi. Back here in South Africa, experts say the introduction of the Gaudeng Freeway Improvement Project, or e in Johannesburg, is a step in the right direction. This is what came out of the 34th Annual Southern Transport Conference, taking place in the capital, Pretoria. Transport experts say fuel levies need to be supplemented by a viable alternative in order to secure a long-term sustainable income for the country's aging transport infrastructure. Johan van Rensburg, Transport Economics lecturer at the University of Stellenbosch, presented a paper on assessing the fuel levy as a long-term, economically efficient road use fund at the conference. He elaborates.
4: Not a lot of people know about the fuel levy, but sanral states in some advertisements that the fuel levy is not productive anymore. It does not generate enough income. But nowhere can you find a quantitative But it showed actually what the problem is Everyone says it's a problem But no one actually shows it Mm. So we thought, okay, let's go And try and assess the fuel levy And see, can we quantify the problem We are trying to assess this a long-term, economically efficient road use fund Is it still viable to use it? There's no link actually now Between the amount of funds Generated by the fuel levy And then where to spend on transport. There's no link. So just if you apply for that, government thinks you need the money to upgrade a section of road, you might get it. So we are saying that the fuel levy generated about 40.4 billion rand in 2012. I know there's no link, I must say, between what we actually generate and what we use, but the Department of Transport had a budget from the fuel levy of about 39 billion uh, for 2012 of which I only used 37 billion. 19 billion that's about 44 percent was again put into road infrastructure, into roads. 45 percent was put into public transport rail system, bus subsidies, stuff like that so road users are actually subsidizing public transport. That is a good thing if you look at it because we are we can't actually build too much roads anymore. There's not enough space. It costs a hell of a lot of money. So we have to get people to a higher occupancy vehicle, buses or trains. We have to beautify that. They are spending it correctly, okay. in, in, in my opinion.
14: What is the difference between um, what the fuel levy is used for in South Africa and other countries, including um, the selected BRICS nations and other European countries? Is there a difference at all?
4: For instance, in America, maybe their fuel levy fund may still be ring-fenced, and they use because they mainly state each year that they are depleting their fund for road usage, whereas by us, we there's no link. They can use it for anything. They don't have to spend anything on transport uh, or road infrastructure from the money they generated. Mm-hmm. So it, it is something that we can actually look into further and, and see actually what do other countries do with that. Mm-hmm. But as much as I say, we did a comparison about the South African fuel levy and BRICS nations and OECD nations, and we saw that we pay very l- less to towards a uh, 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 fuel levy As a percentage of the fuel price Than other countries do Germany had about In 2004 70% of their fuel price They pay per liter of fuel Was fuel levy
13: mm-hmm.
4: Where we only had 25% Now we are sitting at a 17% Share of fuel levy Price in the price of Fuel per liter mm-hmm. So it is reducing but we are not The fuel levy in South Africa is not as high as compared to the peers.
14: What sort of impact do you think other alternative fuels, um, and this could be like electric fuels or more um, efficient vehicles have on fuel levy?
4: There are certain trends that is working in on the fuel levy, and this is alternative fuels, electric and hybrid vehicles, and, and, and vehicle growth. We actually found that registered vehicle populations of Africa grew grew by 47% Mm -hmm. the last 10 years. The kilometers that these vehicles traveled grew by 38%. But the fuel sold to the registered vehicle populations and used to travel uh, the distance only grew by 21% if I'm correct. Mm -hmm. So you get these two trends going upwards and one sloping downwards. Uh, We can't increase the fuel levy that much anymore so, less money is being generated, although we are using more of the road space.
14: What are your thoughts on the introduction of E-tolls in South Africa? And would you say that there is a need to then continue to use fuel levy as a main source of income from road users um, to fund transport operations and infrastructure in the country? Are tolls? what could also complement the fuel levy system that's already being used?
4: There is a lot of controversy with the E-toll system is itals needed in south africa yes it is needed because we need more money we need more money Uh, and where are we going to get it we have to tax people Uh, do people want to pay more for road usage no no one wants to pay more for anything the lucky thing with a fuel levy is that it is hidden in the price of fuel per litre sold. You don't know you're paying for it. The fuel levy only gets increased once a year in South Africa, but they can do it. You will never know.
14: What percentage would it be?
4: At at this stage, we're sitting at 17%. But the ETOs, yes, definitely we need something like that. Did they do it in the correct manner? Maybe not in my view. They did not get public buying. That's a problem. So you spend a lot of money before you actually get to generate any income.
1: And that was Johan from Rensburg, Transport Economics Lecturer at the University of Stellenbosch, speaking to Komotomo Mopulani. Now, let's go back in time. Rather, it's 7.42 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now, going back in time to today, the year 2004, the third conference of the African Union meeting in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, selects South Africa as the seat of the future Pan-African Parliament. South Africa's Speaker of Parliament, Balegambete Mbete, tells us more.
11: I think this is the first time that Africa would have a legislative body. And I think we would like to have a place that we can all be very proud of in terms of the way it symbolizes ourselves as Africa, and we would still even have to discuss what that would be. So we would have to embark on a process of agreeing the kind of parliament that we would like to build. And I don't think that we can just make an assumption that there's some place we have around the country which would really fit what Africa deserves in terms of this first Pan-African parliament. Remember, this place will be the headquarters of an organ of the AU. For instance, if this structure was going to be in Addis Ababa, the, the, the AU would have to bear the cost of running this particular office. So we must remember that, in fact, the fact that it's on South African soil does not take away the fact that it is an AU organ, and so a lot of the costs will be borne from the budget that the Pan-African Parliament will submit to the AU.
1: And that was Speaker of the South African Parliament, Bale Gambete, speaking there on this day in 2004.
0: Africa, rise and shine Africa, Zorba Africa, amuka na unai
1: Now today our question we ask you, do you think the SADC Parliament will help the region deal with challenges? Give us your thoughts on email at info at channelafrica.co.za or send us an SMS to 27 or get a hold of us on Twitter at Rise Shine Africa or at Channel Africa 1. Do you think the SADC Parliament will help the region deal with challenges?
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa. Africa Africa
1: It's exactly 7:45, Central African time, and Amanda Machaka standing by with our economics update.
17: Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. The seventh session of the BRICS Summit begins in the city of Ufa outside Moscow later this morning. It was preceded by the official launch of the long-awaited BRICS Development Bank, which is seen as an alternative to the IMF, the World Bank and other Western lending institutions. Ndebo Mukobo has more.
12: Economic partnership within the BRICS framework is beginning to bear fruit. Trade turnover between the BRICS countries amounted to over $290 billion in 2014. And the highlight of the 2015 BRICS Summit is the official launch of the BRICS Development Bank. The bank's Vice President is South Africa's Leslie Masdorp.
9: Our role as a bank would be to identify potential projects to accelerate economic growth, which is a critical ingredient of creating jobs in an economy like South Africa.
12: The summit is also expected to discuss an agreement on economic integration of BRICS countries with the establishment of a possible free trade zone.
17: European Council President Donald Tusk has warned that there are just five days left to solve the Greek debt crisis. Tusk says the European Union is perhaps facing the most critical moment in its history. The Eurozone has given Greece until tomorrow to present new proposals to secure a deal with creditors and has called a full EU summit for Sunday. There are fears that if Greece were to go bankrupt, it would affect the whole of Europe. South Africa's business confidence drops to a 16-year low due to a weak local economy and weak global demand. The business confidence index dropped by 2.3 index points to 84.9 in June from 86.9 in May this year. This is the lowest point since January 1999. The South African Chamber of Commerce and Industries Economist Richard Downing explains.
0: Fixed investment in the economy isn't growing as it should. It's not that the levels relative to the economy what it should be. And that is a worrying factor because that is the the capital stock that we have in future that will take us to higher growth levels. And we know unemployment is very high at the moment, so that is something that we must attend to urgently in terms of of the economy, and then of course, you know, government intervention sometimes more in terms of regulation and uh, that type of issues, you know, constraining business to some extent. We know the issues of labour, that business has constantly been put to the fore, you know, that is is some constraint on business. And I think there is a business is, is looking to government actually enhancing the climate in which you want to do business.
17: Analysts say outgoing MTN South Africa CEO Ahmad Farouk held a tough position during his reign at the organization. ICT analyst Dobek Pater says Farouk was not pushed. He says a combination of negative labor issues and the poor financial and operational performance at the mobile company led to Farouk's sudden resignation.
3: He's had to deal with a couple of ways of retrenchments that MTN was implementing, uh, cost reductions that need to take place at the company to remain competitive in the market, and obviously now with the ongoing strike for close to two months. So it has not been an easy ride and experience for the CEO. Having said that, he's certainly not the only person that's running that company. I think there's a whole entourage of people, very competent people behind him in the senior management and cascading down into middle management level that are moving the company forward.
17: And the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange says 12 stocks swapped hands yesterday as the boss launched its automated trading system. For the first time in its 100-year history, traders on the ZSE are able to buy and sell stocks online, ending the traditional open-outcry system. Zimbabwe was one of the last countries in the region to automate. However, trade volumes remain thin. ZSE Chief Executive Officer Alban Chirumi.
3: In fact, you find that our volumes have really dropped Uh, by over 40% compared to last year for the same period. So this has nothing to do with the ATS. Now that we have this uh, platform, we expect that we will see volumes going up. Uh, Normally they go up to three, four times their volumes.
17: In you know financial indicators, the US dollar is trading at 12.46 South African rand, at 9.89 Botswana pula and at 7.51 Zambian kwacha. It's also trading at 0.64 to the British pound and at 0.89 to the euro. On to commodities, gold is at $1,153 and platinum at $1,022 an ounce. Finally, the price of Brent crude oil is at $56.55 a barrel. That's all for now.
1: Thank you, Amanda. Our sports update up next with Tammy Kluza.
18: Thanks for joining us. Let's start with athletics. The Athletics Federation of Nigeria (AFN) has invited 50 athletes to camp for Congo 2015 All-Africa Games. The games are scheduled to run from September the 4th until the 19th. A statement signed by Omatsene Siyama, a technical director of the Athletics Federation of Nigeria, said that the athletics camping official opened this week at the AFN High Performance Centre at the University of Port Accord. Selected athletes are expected to contact the AFN Secretary-General Olomide Badimuro for necessary details about the camping pro- programme. In cricket, the South African Proteus have beaten Bangladesh in the second and final T20 international match in Dakar yesterday. Natalie Chamanos says more.
19: South Africa picked up another comprehensive victory in the T20 series against Bangladesh, taking the series two 0 They defeated Bangladesh in the second match by thirty one runs. They scored one hundred and sixty nine for four today in their twenty overs after winning the task, while Quinton de Kock in the end made forty four from just thirty one, hitting four fours and two sixes, and Aby de Villiers opening the banning made forty from thirty four. The innings fell away slightly from the overs eleven to fifteen, but then South Africa got back on track and finished well to get to one hundred and sixty nine. David Miller made thirty from twenty eight and Riley Rousseau smashed nineteen from just six with one four and two sixes. In reply Bangladesh struggled all the way through even though they had a good opening partnership. Sumay Sarkar top scored with 37 from 21 but it was Eddie Lee that shone with the ball in on his debut match took 3 for 16 in 3 overs and picked up the player of the match award. Kyle Abbott bowled 3.2 overs and took 3 for 20 while Aaron Pangiso also took 3 wickets his 4 overs then went for 30 runs. Player of the series went to Faf Duplessis.
18: Meanwhile, England captain Alastair Cook says that his side is itching to get started as they prepare to face Australia, the top-rated team in the world, in the Test Ashes series, which starts in Cardiff today. A Calo England team with a new coach take on a bullish and streetwise Australia in an intriguing Ashes series, which should provide plenty of drama and aggressive cricket.
19: Yeah, I think as always, the day before there's a bit of um, a bit of nerves flying as well around as well from probably both sides. Um, but certainly there's always that. But the overriding thing you saw saw I trained today, the lads just you know after all the build up, I just can't wait for tomorrow to get going and you know and, and play some cricket. Is
18: and now in tennis, South African Kevin Anderson became the owner of an unwanted record at the Wimbledon when Novak Djokovic beat him in a fourth round yesterday. Chris Bowers, more.
20: No one should be too surprised that Kevin Anderson lost to Novak Djokovic, but having been two sets up, it does feel like a bit of a letdown. But the real value in the performance should come over the next few weeks, when Anderson either builds on this great performance or doesn't. In recent years, he's faded in the second half of the year. He's currently 10th on this year's results alone, so if he can keep up this level on the hard courts of North America over the next eight weeks and on the indoor courts of Europe after that, he could yet qualify as one of the eight elite players at the ATP Finals in London in November. In the women's quarterfinals, Serena Williams beat Victoria Azarenka in three sets to move to within two wins of holding all four major titles, though her next opponent is Maria Sharapova. Today is men's quarterfinals day with four absorbing matches. For me, the pick is the battle of Stan Wawrinka and Richard Gasquet, both players who've progressed somewhat under the radar and who should offer a beautiful display of all-court aesthetic tennis. And South Africa's last survivor, Raven Klaassen, plays his third-round match in the mixed doubles. He and Raquel Cops jones take on Horia Takao and Katarina Srobotnik.
18: And finally, in rugby, South African Springbok fly-half Patrick Lambie suffered a head injury in a freak accident at a training in Cape Town yesterday. Soon after the Springbok training group had completed their warm-up exercises, the players were doing the drills when the medical staff were called onto the pitch at the Cape Town Stadium in Greenpoint to attend to Patrick Lambie. He had taken a knock to the forehead and he suffered a gash which required hospital treatment. He was taken to hospital and by the time the training session had ended two hours later, the box were still waiting for news on his condition. Meanwhile, former Springbok and World Cup winner, Pakistan Bota, said that he's not waiting for a phone call from Coach Hanekemea as preparations for the Rugby World Cup in September continues.
21: There was uh, speculations that uh, I need to keep the door open for the World Cup, but uh, like I said to everybody who asked me, yes, but uh, they believe i still got uh, another World Cup in me. I truly believe I do have, but uh, I think uh, I called it a day because I know my last last game was uh, when I came from the bench uh, in Twickenham against England, and I think that peace of mind, that inner peace in me uh, uh, will be the main reason I, I, I set the day to, to, retire, to retire. I think uh, when I walk away I knew that I myself as a player I was still good enough to play for the Springboks and with that mindset I always will remember myself that I still had uh, um, the talent and uh, the, um, the capacity to play for the Springboks and I called it a day and uh, I think uh, there's not a lot of players in World Rugby that can stop their international careers on their own terms and, and I did that uh, my way and uh, I asked for one or two tests, but I got more since I returned uh, after a few years in France. But I'm quite happy where I am and just uh, be blessed again to, to be uh, involved in this weekend's uh, test match. That's the end of our sport and back to
18: Lulu Gabou.
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola Africa, Amika na unahe.
1: Recapping our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at this hour. AU envoy arrives in South Sudan to revive stalled peace talks. SADC members push for a regional parliament and peacekeepers face challenges in Sudan's Darfur region. That wraps up Africa, rise and shine at this hour. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuzora Magaza. And the rest of the team. Thank you for joining us. For comment about our show, send us a tweet at Rise Shine Africa or email at info@channelafrica.co.za. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news and another hour of Africa Rise and Shine on the frequency one five two double five kilohertz on the nineteen meter band to far west Africa is Morera with a song titled Personality.